everyone, welcome to Game Face episode 145 on Sifted Games at Sifted.net. We have a very, very special episode for you guys this week. Uh, I want to apologize for not doing the show on Tuesday, but you're about to figure out why or understand why. And the reason we pushed the show for a couple days is because the embargo for Red Dead Redemption 2 is up on Thursday. And we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, and we need to prep the show and produce the show and have it ready for you guys on Thursday. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's nothing, I don't have any health issues, there's nothing serious going on. We just wanted to make sure that we got uh, our information about Red Dead out to you guys as soon as the embargo broke. So with that, so I think this super is- Super top secret <laughs> recording session. Yeah. I think this is the first time we've ever done a show for just one game. Sounds right. And I think rightfully so. I would say this is probably the biggest release in the last five or six years. Wait. As far as hype and everything? Is there you another think? game bigger? Can you think of one? I don't know if the hype is that big outside of the gaming core circle. Yeah, they're marketing the crap out of this game. It's I think everywhere. I think this is going to be a thing that like the mainstream discovers on like launch week. Yeah. Like I mean, obviously this week, but like you got a lot of commercials. I'm impressed by how like the media blitz Rockstar is doing because like everywhere. Rockstar doesn't really do that usually. Like, but I feel like this isn't GTA. It's not going to sell itself on the name automatically. So you got to push it. You got to get it there. Um, so I'm, I'm actually pretty impressed by how well they're they're exposing the game and pushing it out and reminding you it's there and that, like they're really doing a, a, a an above and beyond job on that I would yeah. say. Um, also, there's other coverage of Red Dead 2 up on Sifted today at Embargo Break. We have the first hour of the game being played, and I try to stay out of that as much as possible. I add commentary here and there, uh, but for the most part, it's the first hour of the game. We recorded it at an extremely high bit rate. Uh, to make sure it looks as good as possible once YouTube basically trashes the file. So uh, we really concentrated on making sure the media for this game looks great. And you're looking at a 1080p version of Game Face right now. Whoa. Yeah. And we have tons and tons of footage of the game that we're going to cut in with this show. So you're going to get a very, very good idea of whether it's for you before you're done watching this. So without further ado, let's get to it. Let's talk about Red Dead Redemption 2. I received the game this past weekend. I've been playing it for four or five days. Um, I am... I'm not finished. I'm, I'm guessing I'm about two thirds of the way through the game and I'm about 30 hours-ish into it. Um, probably the first thing I should do is set up the story for everybody. So not, not Assassin's Creed Odyssey no, huge. It's, no, it's not Assassin's Creed Odyssey Persona 5 like ungodly length, but it's still a big game. Mm. Um, and I guess the first thing I should do is set up the story because I think people have a rough idea of what the story's about, but, and I'm not going to spoil anything, most of the stuff I'm going to talk about with the story um, are things that happen very early in the game, and in fact, most of them you're going to see if you watch the uh, first hour of gameplay on Sifted. Um, most people know it's a prequel. Mm -hmm. uh, based upon what I can gather from the, from the information in the game and the information from the first Red Dead, it seems to be set about 20 to 25 years before the first Red Dead Redemption. Now, the Marstons obviously were a big part of the first game. Uh, they are not the focus of this game, but they are in the game. And it's not just, a, I'm not, again, I don't wanna spoil too much. It's not just a cameo. So mm -hmm. it's not like they show up in a mission, you help them for one mission, and then you never see them again. They're a part of the plot mm. ongoing throughout the game. It's not like in GTA Five where uh... Johnny from Lost and Dam shows up for five seconds right. so Trevor yeah, can yeah. kill him. Right. right. It's not just like a fun, like, hey, here's like a cameo from one. It's, it's a part of the entire game. And so the game kicks off, and there's a group of riders riding through a blizzard. And there's a lot of chatter going on. Well, somebody about, saw the Hateful Eight. 
That's what yeah, you're telling me. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> there's a lot of chatter going on about why they're in this situation that they're in. Uh, they were in a small town before called Blackwater, and something really bad happens happened there. And that's, and, a, that's the town from the first game. Yeah. And they... Part of the mystery of the game is figuring out what happened back in Blackwater. Most of the people who are in this caravan going through the snow are just like, something bad happened, we know we had to leave, and we, need, we know we need to find a new place to live and stay. A through thread of the whole game is what happened back there? What did the leader, a Dutch, do back there that made us have to tear up our lives and move? And so. They're going across a mountain pass. The Pinkerton, which is the police back in the era. This game takes place in 1899. Mm. So the Pinkertons are hot on their trail through this blizzard over the mountains. Um, they finally 1899? 1899. Okay, so that's like, I think it's 17 years. Is that right? Before Red Dead. I think Red Dead is 1916. So that means Jack was much younger than I thought then. Yeah, Jack's in his 20s, I think, in, in Red okay. Dead. Red that, Dead that makes sense. Um, so the Pinkertons are after them. They're running from the Pinkerton cops. And one of their gang members is on his deathbed. And basically someone comes up to the lead carriage and says, hey, we need to do something or he's going to die. So the leader, Dutch, sends a couple riders out ahead of the caravan to try to find something. They do. They find a, a cabin out in the middle of nowhere. Um, they get there. They set up. They, you know, basically hunker down for the night, wait for the storm to pass. And eventually they, they, they're heading east. Um, and they finally find a town where they feel like nobody knows who they are. No one from back in Blackwater is going to find them. And you set up a camp in that town. Um, and a camp in this game, it's not like this elaborate thing with tons of buildings. It's literally just a collection of tents. Um, and they're, they're basically stations. There's a station at your camp for, there's a butcher. Um, there's a place where you can go to basically contribute money and other items to the camp, overall camp fund. Uh, there's, so it's like um, like in most open world action RPGs, although I struggle to really call this an action RPG, it's a lot like that, where you have like your homestead where mm -hmm. that has all the places where you can buy stuff and trade stuff and things like that. And then you settle in and there's this little town called Valentine that's right kind of on the edge of your first camp. And uh, you just start going into town and that just kind of sets the whole plot in motion. Um, I think the first thing I would say is that the writing is some of the best, if not the best, I've ever experienced in a video game. And that's not hyperbole at all. Um, I have laughed out loud at this game. And I know people may be like laughing. This game is, it is, this game is really, really funny. Um, there's a lot of time in the game, and this was true of the first game as well, where you're just writing from one place to another. And there'll be a conversation that goes on between mm. whoever is in the posse of people riding together. A GTA tradition. It is, yeah. Kind of like driving in the car. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. And so that's where you get a lot of backstory. And that's also where you get to build a relationship with the other characters in the gang. So you will go on missions, sometimes with four or five people from the gang. But a lot of times it's just one person. And that gives a chance for the game to kind of provide the backstory uh, the reason why you should care, and then ultimately you do something with that person that ingratiates them to you so that you actually care. Something will happen in the mission where either you have to get their back or they have to get yours, and it kind of bonds you together. And it makes you understand why this gang exists and why this gang is so tight. Um, but back to the writing. So the writing, is, I don't know if Dan Hauser was responsible for most of the script. I know he's kind of the script supervisor. But this script is just amazing, man. It's very smart in how it handles the fact 
that it said in 1899. So you're not, it's not like, a, I don't know if you remember Aladdin, where they use like not in the mm -hmm. Disney movie, and you're like, wait a minute, like, not? That's like a total 80s thing that's gonna date this for forever. So they don't use like current vernacular. They use the language that was used back in the 1890s. Uh, the voice acting, absolutely incredible. I, th I think most people at this point expect nothing less from a Rockstar game. And I just, I never laugh at games. Like it, the funniest games, I may laugh once or twice, and literally there's just been dozens and dozens. Like Arthur, the lead character, just has so many great one-liners. Like just over and over and over again. Every interaction he has, he has at least like two drop dead great like one-liners. The voice actor for him is just incredible. They, they chose him so perfectly because Arthur is a part of this vicious gang at least the reputation says that they're vicious but he he has a conscience and so you see him in the game struggling between it's an unusual thing of the rock star character it is he is multifaceted i mean there's a there's a morale system morality system mm. built into the game too where you, if you make one decision it sends you down this path if you make another decision it sends you down this one i will say that i have not seen a lot of consequences from that. Like I mm. haven't seen like where someone refused to help me because I've been a jerk or someone was like, hey, you're awesome. Like I'll help. Like I haven't really seen. Yeah, the I mean, there was a similar thing in the first game. Well, not the first game because the first game was a terrible Capcom game. But like the, the previous game had like the, the honor and, and uh, it was like the honor and whatever the opposite was. I never right. did that. Did and um, the, uh, you know, the good and evil thing was like, more, it was more about like who, how people reacted to you mm -hmm. and like how willing like the cops would be to overlook like a, a an infraction in town limits and stuff. Yeah. Um, that, yeah I don't think, I don't think it ever in, impacted the, the story. Yeah. I, there's look, there's no, there, there are no conversation trees. Like I said yeah. earlier, you do make some tough decisions. I would definitely be shocked if there was, if a time came when Rockstar would allow us to control the story in any way. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, no, that's a good point. And you don't. I mean, it, it, there aren't there aren't conversation trees where they split and you choose one path or another. They're physical actions where you decide to do one thing or another. Uh, but again, I haven't seen the consequences of that other than the little meter popping up at the bottom mm. of the screen showing kind of where you are on that scale. Um, side missions are pretty good, I, I have to say, as far as like the characters that you meet. I've been surprised at... Is it the same kind of system of like the strangers and freaks? Sort yeah. of thing, like question mark on the map, yep. go there, and it's a, exactly the a same. crazy person starts a side quest chain with you, basically. Yep. And so some of the side quests, in fact, I have a list of like some of the crazier side quests that you do in this game. Um, let's see, you have to, you, you have a photo assignment for gunslingers. You have to go and like take photos of all these gunslingers hmm. that are located throughout the territories. Like, you do you have like the big thing with a poof, like the... No, 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 it's just, <laughs> that would be awesome, but no. They, I don't know how they'd imagine, like, have that, like, pull out of his pocket, because you know how these games work. Right. Like, everything just comes well, out. I, I just think that would be funny, like, if, like, to take a picture, you have to, like, I don't know, I don't know how you do that, because like, the they, they'd have to be can... holding still for, like, five minutes, so, like. Right. That's how they work back you, then. You, that's, that's what the hog tying is in this one. You just tie him to a chair and set everything up, and, like, you have to play a QTE to, like, set up the tripod yeah. properly. Yeah. Like. <laughs> uh, there's that. Uh, there's more common uh, collecting debts from people mm -hmm. who... One of the gang members is basically a loan shark, and he's loaned a ton of money out mm -hmm. to people, and they're not paying back, so you have to go and visit them, and either you can just terrorize them, or you can beat the crap out of them, trying to get the money out of them. Um, you, you discover a paleontologist who is digging up dinosaur bones, mm. and one of the goals is to find 30 fossils located around the world, which is something I was completely shocked by. It's cutting edge for 1899. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and then there's one where you have to collect trading cards, uh, which is very interesting. Again, something I didn't even know existed in 1899. Yeah, it was, it was a thing. And the trading cards are for like circus freaks and mm -hmm. gunslingers or whatever. And you have to collect like all those. Um, because you forget, like the like the old West was basically over by then. Like the old, what we consider the old West was very short. So that's really what the story is about, I think. I the, clo mean, the closing is, of the West. It is yeah. a multifaceted story. Don't get me wrong, but to me, the the part of it that struck me the hardest is seeing these aging, out of control, essentially anarchists be confronted with modern society. Yeah, because these guys. I mean, the heyday of of these guys would have been like 20, 20 to twenty five years earlier, basically. Yep. And so they're kind of like the last of their kind, which is why, consequently, they're on the run. Because mm -hmm. where they live, that area has stopped tolerating their type mm -hmm. of activities. And what they're finding as they move further east is it actually gets worse. Because society is far more evolved and developed on, in the east than it is in the west. And so mm -hmm. it's this weird thing of like, we're running from the west because they don't want us anymore. But we're going to the east where they haven't wanted us for a good 20 years. You should be going to Alaska. That's where you go if you got to run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or Mexico. <laughs> so there's a lot of um, introspection in the game where the characters are starting to come to, to grips with the fact that what they have done their entire lives is coming to an end. And it's not going to be tolerated anymore. And sure, they were always outlaws, but there was all, they were kind of romanticized for a long mm -hmm. time by kids and women who were thought, oh, they're bad boys, but you know, all, a lot of them stand up for what's right. All that's kind of gone. And so Arthur is one of the more conscientious guys in the gang, and it really starts to hit him hard. That one, he, he doesn't have a family, he has no kids, he has no wife, all that, that kind of stuff is kind of addressed in the game. And all he has is this life of crime, that's it. And the guys that are in his gang who have all done him wrong before, and then he's forgiven them, and they've come back into the gang, and. Sounds like a metaphor for working in video games. Yeah, a little bit. Absolutely. I saw. I was like, I saw some people earlier, like a couple of weeks ago, asking, like, where are all the 50, 60 something game designers? And I'm like, gone. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's it's the, they're like an old cowboy. They like are. And you're right. That is a pretty good uh, analogy or metaphor for kind of what's happening in, in game development with a lot of the older guys kind of shuffling off. But um, right down to constant working horrible conditions. Yeah. The story also touches on things that were happening at that time that aren't related to outlaws and gangs, like women's suffrage. Mm -hmm. Like there's one mission where you, there are there's a couple that, you know the 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 boy has been preordained that he's going to marry his cousin, and he's in love with this other girl, and you kind of pass like love letters between the two of them, mm -hmm. and then ultimately the girl is is like a part of a protest for women's voting rights. And you get mixed up and tangled up in that. And it's just this very interesting snapshot of where society was and the way people thought it that in that <clears throat> day and age. There's obviously, you know, parts that touch on racism and how people viewed black people in the old west. Who were about a third of all cowboys. Right. And and you get that in this game too. There are black cowboys in your gang that you run into all over the place. Um, it's it's not a history lesson. I, I would mm -hmm. never say Rockstar is going to teach you what happened no. in, in the late and 19th Rockstar, century. Rockstar's games make it... I mean, this is the same universe as GTA. And uh, I, I think they've definitely connected them. Like, this is the history of the GTA world. Yeah. And um, I think... Uh, I wouldn't. I, I, Rockstar does, does a pretty good job of, of establishing that this is not 
reality. Like these yeah. these world these games do not take oh, place yeah. in our and world. Look, they change like the names of everything. Yeah. Like I honestly really have no idea exactly where in the Western United States it's set because it's like the Grizzly Mountains and right. Well, it's that's like, the I'm Rockies. It's like Colorado and that whole area. Rockstar yeah. always does that. Well, you know, they did in the first one. Like you, you kind of go up to they they kind of span from like the lower Rockies down to Texas and a little bit of New Mexico and then into Mexico once you cross whatever they call the Rio Grande. Yeah. Um, this one looks like it goes a little further east and it's sort of like an Oklahoma, Kansas area. Yeah. One thing I would say though is I, I feel like the story in this game is going to resonate with older players more than younger players. Mm -hmm. I could see where people who are young and maybe not all that concerned about history at this point in their lives might get a little bored with it. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting to see how, like, a lot of the AAA stuff, the storytelling has, like, I don't know if the, the writing is more mature, but, like, the, the content or the, the focus has aged up to, to focus on people more our age and are close to it. Like... And I think I, I touched on that earlier in the year when I talked about how many games are about dads now. Like, because the people who play video games, they're like the core audience are, you know, they're late 30s and they're all having children. And yeah. you even see that with the current, like, game journalism like, size. Like, like, a whole lot of editorials these days are about toddlers. Yeah. Because that's... No, you're right. Everybody's having... all the, the new generation of writers are having children. And apparently that's the only thing you can write about once you have a child. So Yeah. If you're friends with a lot of them on Facebook... Yeah, it's pretty insane. It's really all they talk about. But I could see where people who are maybe more into action or fantasy or something like that honestly mm -hmm. might find the story a little dull. Well, it's also kind of it, it also moves very slowly. Well, I mean, the the, the slow, deliberate pacing is I probably is I'm sure a, a, a conscious choice just based on the subject matter and the and the source material. I mean, like like I, I mentioned, the Hateful Eight earlier, which yeah. is not exactly a thrill ride of, of endless action. Yeah. Um, I like that movie a lot, but it's not... Uh, there's a little bit of spaghetti western there, but I think you're also drawing from the John Ford kind of thing, or even yeah. you know, Unforgiven, if you want to get even more contemporary. But, like, you know, outside of kind of the, the slam-bang, hop-along Cassidy-style stuff, westerns are not, like action romps no, for the most part. No, like they're typically not. like a big event at the end of them. Generally. Right, they're, they're, there's a lot of build. Yeah. Um, but you know, you look at the, the really the really popular stuff, like you look at something like Rio Bravo or uh, High Noon, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, The Searchers, like there's not a lot of like big set piece stuff. It's like, yeah. it's it's there's a lot of talking and riding and arguing. There, and, there's and a eventually lot of that somebody, in this game. Eventually man. somebody's going to pull a gun but yeah. it, it doesn't happen as often as you might expect if you made the movie like today. Yeah. Like, you know, where every movie, every big movie has to have like, you know, every act has to have a big, big action set yeah, piece yeah. in it, you know? And the setting for this and the time period doesn't lend itself especially well to things like that because you're just kind of hitting the industrial revolution. Right. Uh, they're just now starting to use things like concrete and rebar mm -hmm. to build stuff. Uh, so you don't have buildings that are 20 stories high that can crumble down. You don't have ships flying that can crash into something and explode. Mm -hmm. Like, really, the craziest thing that you can do in this time period is, like, hijack a train. Yep. Or, you know, blow the tracks and have the train fly off the tracks. Things yeah. like that. And they, look, they do, they do lean heavily on trains for the biggest moments in mm -hmm. the game. Um, in general. But, which makes sense. Because, again, it's kind of like the most exciting thing that you can have right. happen. But there is a lot of exposition in this game. There are just dozens and dozens of characters and the voice acting is just amazing for every single one like 
you walk around your camp, and look, we've seen this in a lot of games, where you do something, you come back home, and people are like, hey, you did that thing, and you did it real good. It is taken to like the 20th level in this. Like, the most minute decisions that you make in a mission. Say, you, you finish a mission, but you didn't search and loot before you left, and maybe there was like a bunch of dynamite in one of the crates. You'll get back and be like, oh, you did a good job, but you forgot that dynamite in the back room. Like. <laughs> How little, do you know that? Seriously, like little stuff like that happens all the time. Um, and just to kind of segue or transition naturally into kind of the gameplay and, and the design of the game, the, the way it works is you have like all these things that you're trying to maintain with your camp. So you need to bring food back. You need to hunt. Hunting is required in this game. It's not some little side activity that you do. And you're like, oh, I'll do it when I want to. You have to hunt continually. In fact, I've made it my mission to hunt on every mission I go on. So if I go on a mission, I don't come back empty-handed with, I have something across the back of my horse. So you have these things in camp that you have to maintain, and that affects what the people say to you as well, obviously. If you haven't been bringing enough food to the camp, you're gonna come back and be like, bro, I'm starving. Like, where's the food? Because nobody hmm. helps. It's like, that, you go they to- They don't say bro, do they? No, <laughs> no, not, definitely not time period specific. So you'll come back and like, no one's done anything. There's a ledger that shows what everybody contributes and like everybody else will contribute. Like here's a dollar, here's mm. like, here's a fish. <laughs> and you come back, you've got like an elk or a bear or something strapped across the back and like, but then like you go back the next day and check it and like all the food's gone and they're already like getting hungry again. So you have to continually be resupplying that. So you have to supply food to the camp, you have to supply shelter to the camp, you have to supply medicine to the camp. And th there are three kind of icons that will very easily tell you like kind of how you're doing on each one of those. But I think one of the biggest issues I have with this game is you're not given enough information or it's impossible to find the information that you're looking for. There's not like a, a screen that you can go to where, you, where it shows you like your quests and like what you need to do next to complete that quest. It will just have the quest. And there will be like an icon on the map corresponding to tell you how to get there. But like if you go to the camp, you're like, okay, well, like how much does it really affect our food stores if I bring back a deer versus a bear? Or I come back with 10 fish in, or instead of one deer? You can't tell. It's like mm. you contribute that stuff, you give it to the butcher and he skins it up and distributes it out to everybody, or you put it in the coffer. But it's, there's no clear indicator of, oh, okay. Like there's no bar that fills no, up or anything? There's nothing to show you like, hey, if I bring back a deer, we're good for three days. If I bring back two fish, we're good for one day. Like not, not, none of that. Why don't you just teach them all to fish? Right, yeah. Well, you, <laughs> you actually do teach somebody how to fish. Mm. But to me, there's, there's a, lot, a lot of little issues like that. The fast travel system in the game. For the first 15 hours, people may think that there is no fast travel system. Uh, I went through Red Dead Redemption for six years not realizing there was a fast travel system. It's hidden here too. Like, because it turned out, you know, because what you, I, I just never used the campsite. I never used the camp option in the first game. And it wasn't until I replayed it this year that I was like, what's the, wait, I, I set up a campsite because I think I wanted to save the game before I did it some something. Right. And it was, a, I'm like, I looked down, I'm like, why hey. does it list that's, that can, that's not where I am. Why does it list that? <laughs> Yeah. What? Yeah, and no, yeah. it was. Oh my! I was so. I mean, I I literally must have spent like four, five, six hours of my lifespan riding a horse places in Red Dead Redemption One when I did not have to. Yeah. So in the camp, uh, there's the money box, 
and then there's the ledger. The ledger shows you what's happened, but it also allows you to upgrade things at the camp. Mm. So you can make your humble tent better. Uh, you can make Dutch's tent better. Can you make the butcher get more mileage out of a bear? Mm, I think you, you kind of can. Like so a you, better butcher? You can improve the food stores. You can improve the medicine. And then you don't have to babysit that stuff as much as you were doing before. Fast you a side quest with someone who invents refrigeration? Right. Yeah. So, so fast travel in this game, I, I played through the first 15 hours and never, I thought it wasn't going to have it. And... I went and dug into that ledger I was just talking about, and there is an upgrade in there that you can mm. buy that is a map for Arthur's tent. And so you buy the map, and it's expensive. And you go and back, and it's on the back of your tent, and then you can fast travel from the camp to some place, but you can never fast travel back to the camp. There are... Which seems like the thing you'd probably want to do. Right. So there are railroads and... Stage coaches. Mm -hmm. You can use those to travel from town to town, from any town that you've already been at. But there's no easy way to just go out, like fast travel to whatever town you need to go to, do the mission, fast travel back to camp, and then turn in all your stuff and get ready for that. You can't do that. So I found that I'm afraid to fast travel a lot of the times because sometimes when you fast travel to a town, the horse doesn't come with you. And so if you get stuck out at that town and you try to get back to camp, you have to either steal a horse to get back or you have to hoof it like the whole way back. Now, sometimes the horse has been there. I don't know. Maybe it's a glitch. It's not perfect yet. But I've had times where I've fast traveled somewhere. The horse showed up. I've had times where I fast traveled somewhere and the horse is gone. And that is kind of an issue throughout the entire game, in my opinion, is you cannot count on where the horse is going to be. And so leveling up the horse is one of the things that levels up is how far the horse can be away to hear you whistle for it. Hmm. And even at the, the top fourth level of the horse bonding leveling, it's probably still only like 200 yards for the horse to hear you. Wow. Yeah. So I have spent... That doesn't seem like a thing that adds anything to the game. It, it doesn't at all. Like, why don't you just let me summon the horse? I have spent so much time, one, just riding. You ride in this game so much. Before you get the fast travel map from the, in a camp, you ride so much. Mm. And like I said, they try to fill the time with conversations between characters. After you've done that once and you kind of understand like, hey, this is this person's story. This is where they're coming from. This is, how they, this is what they believe. After that, it's just a long ride. And it's the riding in the game... It's not as fun as driving a car around like New York City or Los Angeles in a Grand Theft Auto game. Well, I think a lot of it is the horses have a lot to keep an eye on or, and this is one case where if you're not keeping up on, actually I should go back. So what I was getting, the point I was getting at with the camp is people may be hungry or sick or whatever at the camp. I never saw any consequences of that in the game other than them just being angry when you come back to camp and giving you an earful and saying, oh, you're a terrible leader, blah, blah, blah. Um, the, how they react to you changes. I've never seen it actually change the structure of the game, though. Mm -hmm. Maybe that happens later. I don't know. I'm really far into the game and it hasn't happened yet. But I did get the map and fast travel way later than I thought I would, so it, it's a possibility. Um, so that is one element where all the busy work that you're supposed to be doing so far doesn't seem to have an impact. But with the horse, it absolutely does. So the horse has like th like two meters that it that it governs it. That's like a stamina meter and like a, a food and health meter. 
And so you constantly have to be feeding the horse, you have to brush the horse, you have to constantly pat the horse and calm it. When you're riding sometimes, you need to calm the horse because if you use the turbo, for lack of a better phrase, on the horse so it runs at full speed, eventually it gets tired and it gets angry and it will buck you off. <laughs> and you can hear it, it'll start to like neigh and like give you clues and you click down on the left analog stick and you'll like pat the horse while you're riding to try to calm it down. But there have been tons of times where you're in a mission where you're on a getaway and you're just trying to get away from the enemy and you're not thinking about that. Next thing you know, you're just bucked off the horse and the enemy show up and shoot you and you're dead. So there are ramifications with how you treat the horse. Now with that said, the whole horse thing, I completely overblew. Like I thought that it would be this, you build this relationship with this horse and you go through all these tough times together and you love the horse and if the horse dies and if the horse is permadeath, and I thought when the horse died, I would be completely distraught and like, oh, and, and be angry that I spent all this time raising the horse. For... That's really not how it works. The horses only have like four levels. And so you can get a horse from just got it to level four in like a couple hours. So it's not like you've, I, and I did have the same horse from like the entirety of the game for the first like 20 hours. I did manage to keep that same horse and he just disappeared. <laughs> I just came back from a mission and my horse wasn't there. I was like, where did he go? And they're like, get on your horse. And I'm like, I'm trying to find my damn horse. And there was this other stray horse like standing over there. And I run all around like the area, I'm whistling, the horse won't show up or whatever. It turns out that they had just swapped out this new horse for my horse. I never saw the horse die. They never told me the horse died. And the only reason I finally figured out that that was my new horse is because I saw my gear on it. But again, Weird. within like an hour or two, the horse was right back to the level that the prior horse was at. Um, so that was something that I anticipated about the game. And I think this is a good example that we could all learn a lesson from is never assume because you can always be wrong. And I was absolutely wrong on this. The horse is not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. They're kind of really disposable ultimately in the game. I mean, like more and more as, as you talk about it, it sounds like that's sort of a, like a, a kind of a common thread is like, and it's also sort of what I suspected, where like they played all this stuff up in the preview material, and I'm like, yeah, they say that, and they say it's unprecedented, but it sounds like this the same old busy work that's like just enough to make you do it and not enough to like really ruin the game kind of thing. It doesn't take up a ton of time. I mean, it, there, it's all like menu-driven and quick. Mm -hmm. Like even when you feed the horse, it's just like an apple appears and it's gone, apple appears, it's gone. So it's not like it sucks up a ton of your time. And I think watching this will help you while you, when you go to play the game because you'll realize I don't need to stress out about that stuff as much as I thought I was going to have to, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Um, makes me wonder what's left, though. Like well, so missions. At any given time, you can have two or three primary missions open. Um, and then you can have side quests, although the game doesn't really... Like, when you go to look at the map screen, it doesn't really say, this is a primary mission, this is a side mission, which most games do. It's just like, here's the missions that are available. Um, the actual side missions that happen just happen on the fly. So you're just riding down the trail, and you'll hear somebody scream, or you'll hear someone say something, and you'll see, like, a, a white blip on the mm -hmm. map just pulsing. And these are things that are just happening in the environment as you happen to ride by, although they are triggered by you riding by, as I found out when I failed it and then reloaded and came back and, and I got to try it a second time hmm. at the same exact spot I was riding on the trail. But the, it'll just be like, hey, they're holding this guy down, they're gonna shoot him. And this is a, these are a lot of the missions where you have to decide whether to be the good guy or the bad guy. And sometimes it's not really clear like what being the good guy is. 
Um, but there's lots of interesting little things that just as you're riding around will, will pop up out of nowhere. And then like I, I was talking about earlier with like the more structured like fetch quests where like, hey, find all these dinosaur bones or mm. collect all these trading cards. Those are things that kind of run throughout the entirety of the game. Um, and you may not finish them at all or you may finish them right before you wrap up the game or whatever. But overall, I think the quest structure is pretty straightforward and pretty easy to follow. Uh, there's a waypoint system with the map. Um, you can zoom in, you can zoom out to find icons. You can set a waypoint uh, and you can ride to the waypoint. Uh, the game obviously encourages you to stay on trails. So a lot of times like the waypoints will go like this instead of just going in a straight line from like point A to point B when all that's in between the two points is a field or whatever. Hmm. Uh, so I highly recommend right from the get-go, do not follow the trail that it's telling you to take. It'll be a lot quicker if you just ride straight. And I've learned this lesson for you because again, you ride a lot in this game, a lot. And one thing that's a little bit annoying about it is you can hold the X button on PlayStation 4 and your horse will trot along with the speed of the group. And then you can like double tap it, you can take the lead in the group or you can like double tap R1 and you'll fall to the back of the group. So you can create, create kind of like this pack mentality in that way. But if you want to ride full speed on the horse or you want to run full speed in the game, you have to constantly tap the X button, which... Also true in the first game. Yeah. It's like, it does have that thing where like if you're driving a stagecoach or you're just walking or running, basically like one button speeds you up, one button speeds you down and you pull back to like completely stop. But if you want to stay at full speed, you are just jamming that X button, like whether mm -hmm. you're running or you're on a horse, which feels like something from like the late 90s or early aughts I, and rockstar is good at that yeah i mean i think that's what i would say in general is there are parts of this game that are bleeding edge best i've ever experienced in my life and then there are parts of it that totally tip its hand that it's a video game that's been in development for eight years uh you were talking about quick time events earlier tons of quick time events having to tap a button to run at full speed instead of just holding the analog stick all the way up. Um, Arthur moves so slow, so slow. And the game continually puts you in these zones where it controls how fast you walk and you literally walk like a snail. It has been one of the most infuriating things for me. Like when you're in that state, if you tap the button as hard as you can, you walk at like normal speed. Like you can't run in camp at all. You have to walk like really slowly as you walk around the camp to go from one thing to the other. It's just, it feels antiquated. It's one of those mm. things that used to be in games a long time ago and you just don't see it anymore, but it's in this and it's in this a lot. So people who are impatient are like, ah, oh, this game is dragging this out or making, it does. This game makes you dedicate more time to it than you probably should have to. Between having to ride so much to so many places before you ever get the ability to fast travel, and then once you do get fast travel, it's not really fast travel. It's kind of like this compromise between mm. full fast travel and something else. Uh, the fact that you're constantly slowed down, I think a lot of it has them want, they want you to like gawk at the environments, which fair enough, they are stunning and amazing. But after the first five or six hours of that, you're like, okay, I want to just be able to run as fast as possible everywhere, all the time, anytime I'm doing something. It should be up to me to control how fast I do something. The game should never put a break on me, essentially. And that's what you get in this, just constant moments where, nope, you gotta walk real slow for the next like five minutes and listen to this guy talk about something you may or may not care about. It's so weird that like, tedium simulation is like a thing now. Yeah. Like, I don't know what that's coming from. It's like the Star Citizen demo where they constantly talked about how you had to wait around for trains. 
Yep. And like like what you said about enjoying the ambiance, it's like, yeah, like they're saying like, oh, good thing we made this train or you would have had to wait for five minutes to wait to get to see it. And it's like, I mean, yeah, that's a cool thing the first time it happens. What about the 50th time you missed that train? You yeah, know, like the, you can only look at the sunset over the plateau so many times before you're like, man, I wish I could just get back to the fucking camp. Yeah. The, so. we, the weakest part of the game easily is the gameplay. It's Grand Theft Auto V. Like, they mm -hmm. really haven't made a lot of changes to how you control the character or, like, for the aiming. Like, the aiming is still this over-aggressive auto-aim. Like, you just squeeze the trigger, and, like, your reticle could be here, and it will just snap over to this enemy. Like, just bam, like that. Like, and it makes sense in some cases, because there's some missions where you're riding a horse and you have wolves chasing you. You need to shoot wolves. Like, there's no way you'd be able to do that while you're riding on a horse if you have full control over the reticle. I get it. But when you're in a shootout with a bunch of guys and you're in like a barn or whatever and they're coming at the barn, like, like it, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. There's... Sounds a lot like the first game. Like, everything you're describing sounds familiar. Yeah, like, and sometimes it was useful in the first game where it's like, well, I can't see anybody because it's every, no, right, everyone's yeah, yeah. just the same color as the ground because everyone's wearing brown. So I'm just going to like... It'll automatically snap on. Automatically him. snap. There's a, that's one guy. If you see any movement, oh, I guess he's dead. Like, it's like, you know, you kind of, I kind of, you can kind of auto-aim your way through the game Because um, the, the first game, one. I will say this, like the game is kind of set up to work with it. Mm -hmm. um, it's the way they send enemies at you and the things that they ask you to do. I mean, they've built the game around the idea that you have this insane yeah. auto-aim. The you'd never be able to take on that many enemies if it wouldn't just snap to, like, the enemy as soon as you target them. Yeah, the previous game definitely was assuming it, because I'm sure, I think you could turn most of that off and do it manually, but you'd never get there. Like, yeah. you wouldn't need a mouse. Yep. And since they never made a PC version, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that was not an option. Uh, Deadeye Returns, but it's basically mm -hmm. the same thing. Um, while you're shooting, you just click down on the right stick. Yeah, the right stick. Um, and at first you can just use Deadeye, which slows everything down. But as you level up, so you have like three attributes basically as Arthur that you have to build up. And they just build up with use. There's a few pickups that you can get that will help with that. But for the most part, you have to actually do stuff out in the world and they will slowly fill up. So as your Deadeye improves, you can then start tagging multiple enemies. So. You bring up the reticle, then you click down on the right stick, then you get the reticle over every enemy and, and tap the R1 button on, you know, on mm -hmm. the PlayStation 4 controller, and then you release it, and it's just bang, 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 bang. It shoots all of them. Cool, but something that was in the last game hasn't really been morphed all that much. It still has this weird like jump button where he jumps but doesn't jump and does like this hover thing. I, I don't even know why it's in the game. There's yeah, I mean, it's in there because it's also the clamber button to climb over fences and things like that. But it's just very awkward just getting around. Again, because of the way the speed works with the character and the fact if you're not tapping X while you're walking, you're moving at like a snail's pace. There's a cover system in the game that is the, probably one of the worst I've ever experienced. Uh, you get up to an object and you tap R1 um, and you'll just kind of hunker down and then you can like hold to an edge and tap square and he'll reorient himself behind cover. But it's very loose and it's very easy to come unattached from the cover. Uh, the R1 is used for other things, so sometimes it gets confused and it doesn't go send you into cover when you want to. It, it just... The combat in the game feels very loose, but the saving grace of the game is that they knew that that's what they had from the beginning, and so they've kind of built the whole game around it. So it doesn't 
if you had put this in like any other third person shooter, it would be a complete unmitigated disaster. But because they have kind of reverse engineered the game around the way it plays, it's not as annoying as you think. I mean, I've probably died from the cover system being weird like five or six times so far. Sounds like it'd be easier to just make a good cover system. Yeah. Than yeah. Retro we're, we're, engineer your game around the shortcomings of of the shortcomings of combat that what you're describing sounds an awful lot like the last game it's i mean it's, it's grand theft auto 5 mm -hmm. with the cowboy skin as far as gameplay is concerned i mean that's really what it is all the same features minus dead eye of course but the way the aiming works yeah, like, you kind of had something like that in gta 5 depending yeah, on the character yeah I guess michael right. pretty much had dead eye no you're right he did and so like when you lock on your lock on is always in their chest so you get in this habit of lock on lift up slightly to try to get to their head and then squeeze. Mm -hmm. So it's like lock, lift, squeeze, lock, lift, squeeze. And you do kind of get into a rhythm of it. It, it just makes the game feel antiquated in that regard, which is which I think makes it stand out even more because like I said, some other parts of the game are so far advanced beyond mm -hmm. what we've experienced before in games that it just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, I definitely felt that with like the early, like when they first showed like the early trailers and they kept with a VO about how like, yeah. Oh, gameplay like you've never seen, and I'm just like, I don't see anything I've never seen That's not true before. Either. Like it's, it looks like the same stuff. Oh, and then there are fist fights, which are uh, happen a lot in this game. Um, and there's basically just two buttons. There's a block button, which is square, and there's a punch button, which is circle. Mm. And you get in these brawls with these guys, and like it just seems completely random. Um, whether you, I mean, I think I've won them all. But I've gotten beaten up really bad before, and it didn't seem like there was really getting good at it or bad at it, uh, because there's the, the enemies don't really have patterns. It's like sometimes you can land a two-hit combo, you try to do it the next time you land one hit, and then he, like, knees you in the nose or whatever. Hmm. So uh, the melee stuff is a big part of it. Not so much in the main game. It's kind of one of those things where, say, you go to collect money from somebody, and it's a girl, and she's like, I don't have the money. And then some guy shows up. You're like, well, she don't have the money. You need to leave her alone. And then you square off and get in, like, a fight mm -hmm. or whatever. So it's not like you're constantly, like, duking it out. There is one really, really awesome scene in the game that's built all around the melee. And I'm not going to spoil it. So hands down to me, the actual gameplay is is the the biggest issue that I have with it. What, what you're doing when you're in action. When you die in the game, you lose money. And currency in this game is really stingy. And part of that might be perception because the conversion rate for $18.99 is like, if you have like $10 in your pocket, you're rich. Mm. So it, it, this game is set in a time where the penny mattered, yeah. where you could actually buy something for one penny. And so you never have that much money in this game. You're always just like scraping by because you always want to go back to your camp and improve your camp so that you don't have to do as much busy work. Because if you improve like the butcher, they're supplying more food on their own without you having to give it all to them. So you always want to be like building up that stuff and evolving your camp. ABC, always be And it's be expensive. Camping. Like I was telling you earlier about the map that lets you fast travel. It's $350. $350 is like, like $100,000 back then. Like you have to work your butt off to get that money and you spend it and you're broke. So... Um, the currency in the game is pretty stingy. Like, you'll go on a big heist, and you're like, oh, they're like, oh, we got, there's all this money in the back room. You go get the money, and you split it up, and you made, like, $14. Hmm. Like, that's kind of where the economy is in this game. Also, we want to talk about, like, the, the wanted system, which, again, is something that's very common in Rockstar games. The wanted system in this game is so sensitive. 
I have had people report me for crimes when I didn't even do anything. <laughs> like, I'll just be standing there. It'll be like, reported for crime. And sometimes you can see the people who saw you commit the crime, and an icon will pop up, you can chase them down. Hmm. You can chase them down, you can beat them up, or you can kill them so that they don't go and report you to the authorities. Or you can actually like negotiate with them in some way and get them to say, okay, I'm not going to report you. Um, which is kind of cool, but once the heat is on in this game, first of all, it's hard to not have the heat on. Even though there's a morality system, the game forces you to do bad stuff constantly. Mm. It's like even you do bad stuff that doesn't actually negatively contribute to your morality meter. It's just because you're, it is who you are. You have to rob people. You have to beat people up. You have to do stuff you may not want to do. Uh, but the warning system, like once it's on, so a certain, if you go to a town and the warning system is already high and you do something and seize it, the town goes into lockdown, which means for extended periods of time, you cannot go into that town and use anything in the town. All the stores, all the tax shops, the stables, everything's shut down and you can't use mm -hmm. them. Um, so it, Can any of that spill out to your camp or is the camp always safe? Camp's always safe. Yeah, it, they, I've never seen a Pinkerton or a Marshall show up at the camp yet, which is good because that mm -hmm. would just be total chaos. <laughs> it might be kind of awesome actually. But, um, and then like, at, if your level goes up, like you get to the point where you have US Marshals coming after you, that will take like 10 bullets before going down, which mm. is completely absurd because it's like I shot him in the head three times and he's like, whatever. Like, they just basically increase the hit points of the characters. They don't have armor on or anything. They just like, I can take 20 bullets, that guy can take mm. two, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the, the warning system or the wanted system in this game, I thought just became completely annoying. You can pay off bounties, so a lot like Assassin's Creed Odyssey or the Middle Earth franchise with uh, the Nemesis system, there are bounty hunters that hunt you in mm. this game. So the, the wanted system, if you max it out, they'll send out a party that will come and look for you. And like you can just be riding around out of it's nowhere. It's the posse. Yep, uh, yeah, you can just be riding around out of nowhere, they just come out of the bush. <laughs> and, shoot you at, and they kill you like instantly. Like one shot just kills you. And like I said, you lose money when you die. Mm. So losing $25 in this game is a big freaking deal. And every time you die, you, it seemed to be you lost $15 to $25. There was one part in the game that was really hard. It was like one of the only parts I really got stuck on and had to try it over and over. And I think they stopped taking money away after like four or five times. Here's another part of the game that makes it feel like an old game. So it's this open world game. You're supposed to be able to go anywhere and do whatever you want, but it constantly locks you out of stuff. So say your mission is to go to the general store with somebody. You go to the general store, only they can use the general store. Hmm. So the mission, like the whatever happens at the general store wraps up. They're like, oh, she's, she or he is like, okay, let's go. She walks out to get on the horse or he walks out to get on the horse. You're like, hey, well, I want to like sell some stuff while I'm here. Nope. You, can, you can't use that general store. You have to get on the horse, ride all the way back to camp with the person who was in it, finish the mission, and then go back to the general store and use the general store. And there's little contrivances like that all over the game that when you first encounter them, they don't seem like that big of a deal. But once you get to the, like the 25 hour mark, the 35 hour mark, that stuff starts to really get on your nerves. Mm. The game does not allow you to multitask. I think maybe that's the best way I can describe how the design feels antiquated. It's like, this is what you're doing right now. This is all you can do. You do it, you finish it, then you choose what you wanna do next, and then you do that. There's no, like um, like in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, there were times in that game where just I just started completing quests. 
Mm. Like out of nowhere. I didn't realize I had done anything to complete a quest, but like I completed the main quest I was on, and as that rolled up, then came like two more. Oh, you also did this, and you also did this. That does not happen in this game. There are some things you can do whatever you want. Like when you get the fossils quest, you can just quit doing everything else and go look for the fossils if you want. Um, but for the most part, once you're locked into one quest that you're doing, that's all you can do. It's like the game calculates in a binary way. It's like mm. either you completed it or you didn't. If you did, you can do this. If you have it, you're stuck doing this. It's like mm. this weird dichotomy of this game in some ways feels like something I've never played before and does things no other game has ever done. But then it also kind of has this one foot like stuck back in the old Rockstar open world design. So, sounds like presentationally it's really on the cutting edge, but oh, yeah. in terms of where the rubber meets the controller, you're kind of doing stuff you've done oh, yeah. all the time before. Yeah. The presentation in the game is incredible, without a doubt. Like Just the way they choose all the camera angles for the cinematics and the way the game will intersperse breathing moments where okay you just had this mission where you had a big shootout and maybe one of your gang members died or something but then on the next mission it will just take time to just cut as you ride to your next location like way away like you and a partner with like awesome music music in this game is incredible i'm not a country music fan i am a fan of this country music which to me is like the real country music which is a cowboy music um it's just incredible and they'll play those songs and it'll just basically show you like a two or three minute cinematic of you and your posse or you and your partner just riding through the wilderness with these gorgeous vistas or these waterfall and it it's basically the, them just saying look mm. at what we did which is fine because what they did in those in that regard is absolutely amazing it is i struggle to say it's the best looking game i've ever played um and i think the character models are what hold me back from that they're good but again, after playing like Spider-Man and a couple other games in the last six months, again, a sign that the game's been in development for eight years. It's like you're trying to play catch up and keep up with what mm -hmm. everyone else is doing. That's one regard where maybe they fell a little short. But the attention to detail and the visuals in this game is freaking ridiculous. The stuff that you'll notice. So um, there was one time where my horse and I, first of all, like the horse, like when it gets on the side of a hill, it'll start sliding. And, like, try to, like, adjust its legs to account for, like, the momentum of going downhill. Just little stuff like that. There was one time where I was sliding down a hill, and I saw, I, and I stopped. And once I stopped, I saw all the pebbles and rocks and dirt keep sliding past me and, like, tumble on down the hill. There are just little, like, things like that all through the game. A lot of stuff I think a lot of people will never, ever notice. Um, so once you kill an animal you can skin it and, and again the, the inventory is also weird in this game it's like you have your own inventory the horse has an inventory a saddlebag or whatever mm. but like putting something in and out of there is like this very weird thing and like trying to get something out is like impossible without just discarding it again it feels like something that's from like another time but the the horses like the inventory on the horses you can you can use it to like store skins or whatever so what I do is like I've killed the animal, I whistle for my horse. While I'm while the horse is coming, I skin the animal and pick up the skin. Then when the horse gets there, I take the skin, I put the skin in his saddlebag, then I pick up the animal carcass and lay it over the back of the horse. And so it's gross. So you're riding around with this skinned animal <laughs> on the like a gigantic skinned animal on the back of your horse. And like you're completing missions because everything's real time. 
So if your horse has a dead animal on the back of it in the cutscenes, you're on a horse with a dead animal on the back of it, which is kind of awesome. But like the animal will start to discolor over time. Mm. It'll start to rot on the back of your horse. And sometimes you get caught in these multi-part missions where you're like, okay, I got this on the back. I'm going to complete this mission and then go back to camp and turn it in. But you end up getting tossed in like three missions in a row. By the time you're done, the carcass is like rotting. You take it back and they're like, oh, we don't want that. Or it, it doesn't give as much sustenance to the camp as it would have if you got it back like right away. So there's all kinds of little Does details. it help if you don't skin it? Probably. Immediately? Probably, I don't know. I haven't tested it. Because I got in this weird thing with the inventory and I figured out a system that worked for me so that I could keep the skin and get the food to the camp. And now I just keep doing it over and over because mm. I don't want to screw it up. So I honestly don't know. It, it, it's possible. Um, but, you know, when you go to sell pelts, like, there's a thing called clean kill. So when you're hunting and you go to shoot an animal, you should always shoot it with your bow. You should never use a gun on an animal. And when you shoot it with your bow, when you have the bow pulled back, you can tap square and you'll whistle. And that will make the animal stick its head up. Mm. And when the animal's head is up and the animal is alert, that's when you can shoot and get a clean kill. It makes no sense in reality <laughs> whatsoever. But it is a cool kind of little mechanic that adds a little something to the hunting or whatever. But that also parlays into more money. So if you get the clean kill, you take the pelt in, and the difference is huge. It's like the clean kill, you get $100 for the pelt, which is a ton of money in this game. If you've like shot it poorly or like shot it multiple times, you'll get 10. Mm. So there's a lot of incentive. And again, the money is so tight in this game. Every dollar matters. There's a lot of incentive to make sure you get clean kills when you're out hunting before you return, turn them in at the general store. And then, I mean, I could just go on and on about this game. So there's, you know, there are general stores. You can sell stuff to them, but they won't take stolen goods. So you have to try to find these fencing places that will take stolen goods and they're hard to find. And then you got to get there. And it's a, it's an awesome game. Absolutely awesome. But again, I feel like the eight year development cycle for this game has not done it a ton of favors. I feel like if this game had been started three or four years ago, it would feel a lot more current than mm. it does now. It also makes me a little bit nervous for Grand Theft Auto 6, if I'm being entirely honest, because if they had this much time with Red Dead 2 to kind of get it to another place and didn't. Yeah, well, I think Rockstar has that problem pretty regularly. Like Both the problem of that it takes so long that the, the game they make tends to be a little archaic in places, and also like it seems like they don't do a lot of research or at least comparison of themselves to other games which like, sometimes can be good can be good but i think sometimes like especially in a in a in, a, in a, a realm as crowded as the open world action game especially because of how rapidly like kind of the open world action game and open world action rpg have evolved in the last like six years like you i mean i felt that in gta 5 or gta 5 just sort of felt a little if the world felt a little empty, uh, what I had to do and what was offered to me felt a little by rote. You know, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't that el that element that, you know, it was a very impressive world full of detail and, and, and ambiance and aesthetic. Like, you know, the art direction is amazing. Like, like I've said before, like there's places in GTA five where I can smell what that place yeah. in real life smells like because it's so, the quality of the light is so accurate. But well, the there's nothing scene there. This, it, the blizzard scene I was talking about. Uh, when I first started playing the game, like our back bedroom, the way it's all set up, like um, I have a chair and then a monitor. 
and then the air conditioning vent hmm. is literally right above the chair. It just blows down into the chair. So our apartment will be comfortable, but if I'm in the back room, I'll have a sweatshirt on because it's just blasting freezing air onto me. So it was perfect, dude. Like I, hmm. the game starts and it's just this insane blizzard and the air conditioning starts piling on. And it just, it for that moment, I was like, oh my God. Like you just totally sunk me into this world. And this game is really good at that. Just like grabbing you up, dropping you into this world you've, ne you've probably never experienced in your life unless you played the first game and just totally absorbing you into it. And I think a lot of people, how much they enjoy this game, I think it's gonna depend a lot on their age. Like the, I can't see a lot of 13 and 14 year old kids being into the old west, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but also I think it's more deliberate pacing, it's lack of multitasking, I think people who are ADD and like to have a lot going on or like to be able to multitask, I think this game to them is gonna feel really, really slow. I mean, Rockstar's really good at this. It's attention to detail is second to none. Uh, his facial hair grows and you have to constantly keep shaving it down. Um, there's just all- There's all that stuff like, yeah, I think- um, You get fat, I haven't got fat, but uh, you can get fat by eating. Legacy X, I think, asked, uh, you yeah, know, this was in one of the questions you picked uh, for the, but it was one of my questions too, is like, does all this stuff, the interaction, the camp maintenance, all that stuff, does that, does it like interfere with the game? Does it feel like it, like it just sort of bogs it down? Like, it doesn't sound like, like it would add a whole lot after a while. The camp, I mean, I don't know. I think your mileage will vary on that depending on what you enjoy about video games. And I think maybe even part of your personality too, because it's frivolous, a lot of the rewards that you get for maintaining the camp, but to me, they're still impactful. It's like coming back from a crazy mission where you barely survived and having the whole camp thank you or say great job or whatever. Like there's one part in the game where you complete a mission and you come back to camp and they throw a party. Hmm. They throw a freaking party in real time. It's literally the whole camp with music, dancing, um, guitar playing, storytelling, joke telling. And so you come back from this mission, they're all so happy that they're like, we're having a freaking party. And then this party just freaking happens. And so I think, I'm not sure if that would have happened if the camp wasn't happy or not. I'm guessing it probably would have still. But that's just an example of how I was saying about getting that positive like reinforcement or feedback actually, at least for me, makes a difference. Um, and I think, Knowing now that you've watched this or listened to this, if you're listening to the podcast version, knowing that you that the camp stuff isn't like a do or die proposition, I think will let people start the game with their mind at ease. Uh, because when I first started it, I was OCD about the camp. I was like, oh, you know, this camp, if, if all these people die, I won't have people to go out on missions with me and it'll make the rest of the game harder. None of that stuff is the case. It's like, it's there. It's a, a nice reward uh, when you come back and people congratulate you and say, great job and you're important and you matter to us. And it doesn't sting all that much when you come back and they're like, I'm hungry. Although I will say when a little kid walks up and says, I haven't eaten in three days, like it, it does make you like, okay, well I need to go out and get a freaking deer. <laughs> like, so I wouldn't say it's all completely frivolous. If your stamina runs completely out um, and you're aiming, your aim will just be <laughs> like all over the place or you won't be able to like hold the gun up. So there are, for every system but the camp stuff, there are consequences for not maintaining that stuff. Is it busy work that drives me crazy a little bit? It's not that bad. Like, even if you have to find a deer, like you can hop on your horse and you can ride half a mile away from the camp and there's an open field with probably a deer in it or whatever. 
Um, feeding the horse isn't that much of a pain. It does suck when he bucks you off because you've been riding him too hard. Um, but you can build that stat up too. Like the horse levels up and his tolerance for being able to run full speed. I look forward to GTA 6 when your, th your car can randomly throw a rod <laughs> if you decide to, to accelerate too quickly. It has, it has been interesting to play this game and compare it to GTA 5, but then also kind of hypothesize how it will impact GTA 6. Because I think there's a more, there's probably a more direct line between this and GTA 6 than there was between the first one and GTA 5 oh, because it's, it's the same. Yeah. It's more of the same people working on yep. it. So the question you're all asking is like, should I buy the damn thing? Uh, because today's Thursday. We're recording this Wednesday, but it's going up at Embargo on Thursday. And then the game comes out tonight for you guys or tomorrow, uh, depending on your work schedule or if you have time. The question is, should I buy it? And, um, you know, generally whenever I do podcasts about games, I try to bring up a lot of the issues that I've found in the game. And I my intention isn't to turn people off from the game in mass. My intention is that there are certain people for which there are deal breakers. There are things in games that when they find out they're in there, they're not gonna buy them. And so when I talk about games in, in podcasts, I try to share all the issues that I found because one of those things might be something that is a, that's a deal breaker for you. Um, that does not mean that the game is not good. In fact, the game is great. I think expectations for this game weren't just that it was going to be great, but that it was going to be the game of the forever. And I think, even though I haven't finished the game, I can say at this point that I think it falls short of that. Um, it's not the greatest game I've ever played. In fact, having played like 30 hours of it, I think I can say that it's not the greatest game I've ever played because you would know that already if it was the greatest right. game you've ever played. I honestly never expected it to be. I think so a lot it. of people have, though, because it's Rockstar's first game in, like, six years. Yeah, but Rockstar... it took eight years to make it. It also looks like the same game they've made twice. In, Much prettier. In terms yeah. of Red Dead Redemption 1 and GTA 5. Like, yeah. Like, I don't... I feel like when you get a Rockstar game, you get a very specific game. Yeah. And uh, especially when it's made, like, kind of by the core guys. Yep. And uh, it's good. I like it, but it doesn't really impress me anymore outside of kind of the bleeding edge graphics, horse testicle physics yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> like it's like it's like that a, stuff is amazing. Like when you have it's a, like Naughty Dog. It's like I mean I think what they do is amazing in terms of the yeah. detail and presentation, but that doesn't mean I think Uncharted Four isn't boring as hell. Like yeah. it's yeah, you know, it's one or the other. It, it's 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 a very different thing from being a, an impressive presentation to being something I enjoy playing and. It's not until those two things align that I get something that I really call one of the best things I've ever played, especially in the wake of having actually played something I would say that, say that about, which is Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, and Spider-Man got made in like three years. Yeah. So. It did. Yeah. And it's, I think that for me is a big issue with Red Dead Redemption 2 is that I have played a lot of really freaking good games this year. Yeah. I mean... Just think about God of War. Just like God, God of War, War and Spider-Man. Kind of like, yeah, I mean, God of War is kind of in the back of our minds now. Mm -hmm. But like when I was driving over here and I was thinking about this game, because I've literally just been in this game, Matt. I have been living in the Wild West for the last like four or five days. It just completely consumes you and you just kind of become a part of that world, which again is a testament to how awesome the game is. But I'm driving over here and I'm thinking about like, wait, I started thinking about God of War. And I was like, you know, when that game finished... I didn't want it to end. 
And there have been moments already with Red Dead Redemption 2 where I have taken breaks. Like there was one time I was running down this hill and a stagecoach just came down the hill and my horse ran right into the stagecoach and he just died. <laughs> and you can just die instantly in this game. And again, they take money away from you when you die. And you're like, oh, I just, I had to go on three missions to earn that $40. And like, I just crash into a stagecoach and it's gone. Um, so there, there are already moments in this game that have kind of flagged to me that in my, at least for what I enjoy with games, that it's not up to scratch with the God of Wars. And even for me, probably like the Spider-Mans. Um, but there's no other game like it. You're never going to play another game that's this authentic that's set in the Old West. I love the transitionary period that it's in because I really had problems resonating with Jack from the first game. Like he was just so like just cold and calculated and mean. There was never seemed to be like a, a ray of light or any duality to his character or his personality. That's not the case with Arthur. Arthur is very multifaceted. Like he's a, he's a sympathetic character in a lot of ways. He does stuff that makes you sick to your stomach. And you're like, why would you do that? But then the game shows you why he does that. It shows you yeah. why he I think he Jack is... had a good reason to be where, the way he, he was. He did, he did. But there's... there's and John more... wasn't like that. Yeah. But there's a duality to Arthur that I didn't mm. get from Jack. And uh, I enjoy playing as him far more. And the writing goes a long way towards that. Like, you cannot wait to hear his next, like, one-liner. Because they're just so well-written and so well-delivered by his voice actor. His voice actor, to me... Just give him the VGA right now. He he just nails it. Like, just freaking nails it. Every line. He just delivers every joke, every jab. Everything is, is just perfect. And there's a Sorry, lot... Sorry, it's, it's going to have to go to a celebrity. Is so, it a celebrity who voices him? I don't know. No. Like, I, what I'm saying is <laughs> that those awards generally go to someone you've heard of and not the actual best performance. Uh, oh, I think he'll win this one. I, I absolutely think he will win this one, without a doubt. Although, yeah, it made it in in time. It'll be in the VGAs. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great game, and it's an amazing game. I just think if you have these expectations that it's going to be this mind-blowing, otherworldly, never-been-done, never-been-seen experience before, I think just... Just take it down a notch or two uh, before you pick it up and start playing. And to go back to my question of should you buy it or not. Look, if you've been excited for this game, go buy it immediately. Don't even think twice. If you love the first game, go buy it. If you're like me and the first game didn't resonate with you that much, like I don't think I ever finished the first one. I've probably put 20 hours into it or something like that and finally hit one of those spots like there are in this game where things just got kind of dull and boring and I never went back. I enjoyed this game it's a called lot. Mexico. Yeah. I that enjoyed a, this game a lot more. Although I have to say, one of the reasons I played played it again when it hit backwards compatibility on Xbox was like, I, I got to play it again and power my way through Mexico. But by the time I got to Mexico, I knew how to fast travel this time. Right. And that really changes that. Because otherwise, you're just it's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for hours down in that southern part of the map. You know what I'm talking about. And like You're just riding miles but and miles then once, at a time. Once I found the fast travel, it cut, it cut that in half or more. This game, so. in, in honesty, this game would be vastly improved with a normal fast travel system. Where once I visit a town, I can fast travel that to that town whenever I want to. I have no idea why they wouldn't allow you to do it. I don't know if their engine just isn't built to handle it, but... No, that sounds like a... It sounds like it's standard choice. Rockstar choice, where it's just like, no, we're going to make you live in our world. But I'll say this. Like, the, the work that has gone into this game, the craftsmanship that shows... It, it shows. Like... Mm -hmm. 
just the first scene. Those black the bars on the, and, oh, yeah. those black bars, top and bottom, really sell the cinematic. <laughs> that is the dumbest thing. It actually does. Thing. It actually does. Well, I know what they're right. after, but I think it's stu a stupid to do it in a video game because, like, cinemascope. I mean, if your rest of your game isn't in cinemascope, why are you using cinemascope for the cutscenes? B. Well, kind of. I'll say this though. It does kind of let you know that you're not in control anymore mm -hmm. because. Because the cinemas are all real time and show your actual character model and your actual horse and everybody else the way they are in the game, it it can be hard to tell sure, but when it's this, going from. Game I'm just to of all the things in that in that article uh, about the Rockstar Crunch stuff, that is to me the thing that pissed me off the most <laughs> because it, just as a film person, because right. the idea that you don't know what aspect ratio you want to shoot your damn movie in until after you've already shot it yeah. is pathetic. Pathetic. That's not good. It's, yeah, it's and, not good planning. And it's it's uh, I'm you know you've worked with me long enough to know that I am someone who does not like having to redo work. Yeah. Do it who right. Does? Do it right the first time. Who does? Like if there's a reason to reiterate, awesome. That's part of the process. Like that's a different way of shooting the property. Like, like you, you you start framing your shot knowing what yeah. your aspect ratio. And like is. the idea that you wouldn't know how you wanted to do that right out of the gate is insane it really is it's it's well, they had to ridiculous. go back and like redo it all they and by the way every shot. that's not what cinema the cinematic feel comes from the <laughs> cinematic feel comes from presentation writing performance and composition but you should know that like, right from the you should know that week one not year seven right like you'd be out of the film industry if you did that on a movie you would? like that's yeah. that's amazing never to me hired again so matt has not had a chance to play it yet no you're gonna get it tomorrow or tonight or uh well when we're airing this, yeah, It'll tonight, tonight. Tonight at like whatever nine p.m. I guess it goes live because the West Coast refuses to. We we do all this shit early for the East Coast feed, so we get the games three hours before you do, yep. which is the same time you do. Right, right. We ain't waiting until midnight, people. Come on. Yep. So we'll be back on Tuesday with the next episode of Game Face. You only have to wait four or five more days. Uh, for us to come back with another show. And Matt will have played a huge chunk, I'm sure. I wouldn't even be surprised if you have finished it by then. Nah, I, don't, I'm, I move more methodically than that. Well, also, you'll have also, I want to play... Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You have four days. Yeah, but I also want to play Thronebreaker. Right. Um, which I haven't yet. Yeah, so which sounds amazing, by the way. Stuff to do. I wanted to try to get that done in time for this, but the, just yesterday was busy. Yeah. And uh, I will have finished it, I guarantee, by then. So uh, we'll have a, a much more back-and-forth discussion uh, about it then. Uh, although you're very well versed in the franchise, I think you did a pretty good job of carrying the discussion and kind of interviewing me today. To yeah, I mean, you were the... you were mostly monologuing. It's fine. It, it, I, you didn't need me for this. I feel like I did. It just seems weird to just sit there and talk by yourself. Yeah. About something that for that long anyway, five or ten minutes, no big deal. But when you get into like the hour range, it's a little more extreme. So um, again, should you buy it or not? If you've been excited about this game, absolutely buy it. Just don't count on a lot of surprises or any kind of the unknown stuff. Yeah. Like it is, it certainly is what it looks like it is, but it is, don't expect yeah. it to be like the revolutionary like thing that overturns all your expectations of what a game should be yeah. sort of thing, which is, I think... Although what, in some ways which I is, think it does. Though, in, some, in some ways, but like the marketing really tries to sell the idea that it's like a thing you've never played before, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. really doesn't look like no. that at all to me. The character development... I mean, when you first meet this gang, you're just like, oh my god, what a bunch of scoundrels and just terrible people and... A bunch of hooligans and scalawags. But over time, <laughs> you start to find soft spots in your heart for almost every single character in the game. They're just so well-developed, so well-written, so multifaceted. Um, 
it might be the best video game story ever told outside of maybe some of the really hardcore like uh like text rpgs and stuff like that where story is mm -hmm. kind of the only thing yeah i don't but know how action I'd, game yeah i don't know how i'd compare this to planescape torment which would probably be my right my pick yeah which i mean the script in this game is so huge because it's like everywhere you go everyone's talking and they're not just mm. talking they're talking about what just happened or who came into town or something that you did even though they don't know it was you yet and it i can't even imagine if you printed out this script how big it was i can't mm. even fathom it i mean it's, it's gotta be like 400 times the size of a movie script it's just it sounds about right i mean what was, what was it uh, ellen page said like that she got the script for uh what you could the, beyond two souls yeah. and it was like yeah. It, was, it was like a, it was two phone books, basically. Yeah. You only like, yeah. worked in film, and you get that first gaming script. You're like, how much am I getting paid you're again? Like, Why? <laughs> but you know, at least you don't you have to memorize most of it. Yeah. You know, like, but um, it's funny. We were t I was talking with some friends uh, yesterday about kind of like, because uh, that, uh, what was it? The, the mod for uh, New Vegas came out with New yeah. California. It was yeah. like seven years and same, almost the same amount of time <laughs> as Red Dead Redemption. Um, so the mod for that came out and we were talking about like, what Bethesda open world games would we, and also in conjunction with Fallout 76 kind of coming up. Because um, there's a bunch, of, uh, no one I know wants to play that. So uh, good luck, Bethesda. Um, but like, <laughs> there's a bunch of people who were talking about like, you know, kind of the, the Bethesda games through the years and which of them would you be willing to go back to? Which one would you like to see a remake of? Which one would you play again? And like most of the consensus was like, there's people would want to play Skyrim. And again, you know, obviously we have because there have been remasters. Uh, there's people who would not mind seeing a remastered Morrowind. Uh, most people like kind of were like eh, that one to me seems to be the one that stands out. Yeah, I don't, people like, I don't know if I ever need to play Oblivion or Fallout 3 again. Yeah. Um, but, but we got to talking about kind of the voice acting stuff and how like how amazing and you know in, in some ways how kind of primitive some of Bethesda's stuff can seem where like uh, you're talking about this huge cast in Red Dead Redemption 2 and all this stuff and I'm like you know what like it, it, it for whatever reason like the open world kind of variety of voice actors struck me and I'm like well Rockstar would never do that because we we're talking about how like like in Oblivion Every, they had one voice actor for each gender of each race. So one guy did all the male, right. like all the male like, wood elves yeah, and yeah. one woman did all the female wood elves. And like, and sometimes you had two elves talking to each other. It was the, the same, same person. person. <laughs> and Skyrim does that better, but it's still like, you still yeah. look up Skyrim and like the, yeah. like, like there's like, there's like seven or eight voice actors that have like 40 roles listed right. on IMDb for like that one game. And it's like, not how rocks it's are like rolls. it's not it, well, it's not how anyone rolls yeah. anymore you know it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just like but but like it's interesting to look back and like even like 10 15 years ago yeah you had a script that big and you're like well we can't afford 400 people so we're just gonna have to quinta dodessa similar <laughs> up or whatever and like and nowadays it's like yeah you really can do casts yeah. of that well, size and scope rockstar. especially when you're rockstar, and your game's but, gonna sell like 80 million copies or whatever but like you see like uh, you know, ac odyssey doesn't double up yeah. too often and yeah um, it got because like the, the speculation was like how many, you know how how great how much money did they save on Fallout seventy six without having to hire the same seven people to do all four hundred NPCs because there's no NPCs in the game right, right? right they just needed a bunch of super mutants to scream and a bunch of bandits to go ah you know? right yeah uh, but we're talking about it's like oh Starfield is Starfield gonna have 
you know, that same wood elf guy doing like all the beta reticulans or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, it's, it's it, it just, I just thought of it because it was that thing of like the eat certain companies have those quirks of like things they just will not grow past. Yeah. And Beth for Bethesda, in addition to Gamebryo, I would say one of them is just like, just cast more people <laughs> like to, to sound different. But I was like, oh, Rockstar has trouble kind of like moving beyond like, they, they're just in love with that tap the button to run thing, which I don't think is ever going to change, no matter how outdated it is. I mean, the whole control scheme is weird. Yeah. It's like they have refused to accept that there have become sort of default control mm -hmm. schemes for things. It's like, no, we know all of you guys use this button for this, but that's not how we've done it. Yeah. So you're still going to jump with the square button. Like, yeah, you're, the, the jump is still going to do that weird sort of half long jump maneuver exactly that doesn't actually get you anywhere. Yeah. But you like, can't actually jump up on anything. Yeah. yeah, but at least you pressed it and you did something and yeah. it made you feel like something happened. <laughs> Um, but it's yeah. like it's it's funny to me that like you know like the whereas Bethesda skimps on that like and that like Rockstar doesn't skimp on that kind of thing at all. Nope. But when it comes to what you're actually playing, they're like mm, very stubborn. Mm, yeah, I, I don't I don't get it. So there you go. I always call look, that they, more than initial impressions of uh, they, Red Dead. They did, TV. however, make the biggest selling entertainment product of all time. Yep. So they're doing so something right. So there's sort of the argument, like the argument of like, well. It works doesn't really. I don't really have a counter to that. Nope. Like, it's, <laughs> it's hard to argue against eighty million copies yeah, sold. It's hard to argue with, and God knows how many uh, sh you know great white shark cards mega like sold yeah. I mean, for all that for all the microtransactions screaming. It sure works well. Yep. Oh, and just as a side note, no no uh, Red Dead Online yet. You guys probably knew mm -hmm. that already. Did not launch with the game. It's coming in a month. Um, Maybe less, actually. Less than a month, I think. By the end of the year. It's yeah. supposed, supposed to be Battle Royale. Yeah, we'll see. So, um, but yeah, it's not in the... Uh, if you were thinking, maybe it'll be a surprise. No, it's not there. What do you so. think about the... Uh, I don't even know what to call it. Conspiracy theory or like crazy rumor that like people have come... Because when the map leaked a couple of days ago... Suddenly, this like on Twitter and some and forums, like people were saying, like, "Oh, there must be a remaster of Red Dead Redemption One in there," and that's why they never, that's why they never remastered it or re-released right. it was because the whole map of the first game is in there, in. so they just remade the first game in Red Dead Redemption Two as a bonus, which to me strikes me as one of the craziest things <laughs> anyone has ever. I that's mean, why it took eight years, Matt. Yeah, they had to remake the first game in a totally different engine with no overlapping code. That's clearly something they did instead of just. I have making seen, Red Dead Redemption online stuff yeah. to make free money for four years. I, I've seen nothing to suggest that there's even a modicum of truth to that. Yeah, I don't. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't. I think people just want to come up with exciting stuff to talk about sometimes. I mean, that would be cool, but it would also be cool if the game, I don't know, did my laundry. Right. I, don't, like, I don't know what I guess. <laughs> Maybe as long as we're talking about stuff that's not going to happen. <laughs> Let's just shoot for the stars. <laughs> All right, so uh, I, I don't want to say those are initial impressions because I have spent a ton of time with this game. Um, so we'll wrap it all up on Tuesday with a nor more normal episode of Game Face. But wanted to get this out to you guys before you had to decide whether to buy it or not and right at the embargo break. So that's what we've done. Uh, we do have a trailer of the week for this episode, though, because uh -huh. we still need that way to segue from the show into the Q&A. Uh, so, a reason for you guys to follow us on Twitter, at Sifted Games, 
Uh, whenever we do shows like this, we ask for questions uh, from our Twitter feed, and that's exactly what we did, so we'll get to those. But first, we have a trailer of the week for the Atari Retro. Matt, have you checked this out yet? Nope. So it's yet another mic retro-themed micro console, a little mini console, and there's two versions of this, actually. Uh, but it's a mini console that has a bunch of games on it, and you can go buy it over the holidays. Let's roll it. So Matt, what do you think? I don't, could not possibly care less about Atari Twenty Six Hundred games. You know, Tommy like, Tallarico is is behind like an Intellivision one. Intelli yeah, the Amico. Yeah. yeah, I saw that. That thing looks like a diabetes like blood sugar testing machine. Yeah, like, it's like I just feel like both Atari and Intellivision. Those games are so crude. They're just not. Yeah, great to I have packaged. slightly more interest in the Intellivision just because it's less overplayed and the graphics that's called look, what the amica the Miko, Amico. I think. Yeah. Uh, it's over it's not as overplayed and there was some stuff on the in television i liked a lot and haven't really played because like the atari 2600 stuff hasn't exactly vanished no right over the it's years not like you know, it's hard like, to find um you i just i just don't cards for like 25 i just cents. can't think of a whole lot of stuff on on the atari 2600 that doesn't have like that isn't like a inferior version of something that either came also came later, came out on something else, or was in the arcades. Like, yeah. if I'm trying to think, like I guess like adventure. If I want to play the the game with the ducks that are supposed to be dragons, no, or like no. the uh, river raid is that's still good. pretty good. That's, that's probably um, the only game on Atari Twenty Six Hundred that I can still enjoy. Yeah, playing. Yeah, I think River Raid, Barnstormer is not terrible. Cosmic still. Arc, I like yeah, Cosmic yeah, Arc. Fun. And I liked Atlantis. I think I, I those Yard's were the Revenge games I was pretty play. good too. Didn't that have an arcade? Was that an arcade game or was that a Atari that was original? Was an Atari Twenty Six Hundred right. first, I believe. I believe no, it was an arcade game first. Yeah, but the Atari conversion for the Twenty Six Hundred pretty good. Was good. Yeah, yeah, but still, <laughs> still, yeah, very slim mm. pickings. All right, let's get to our Q and A for the week. Um, call, me, first... call me when the N sixty four classic shows up. Yeah, I don't know if that'll happen either. Our uh, first question comes from Ultimate Brent, who is the site architect at Sifted. He has a fun question. Insider uh, trading. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what is the best airplane game, as in played on an airplane? Mm. Um, I think the games I've played the most on, on airplanes are Fire Emblem and Phoenix Wright. Anything turn-based, I think, is best on a plane. Because mm. you can just play it, put it down. They... Somebody has to get up and use the bathroom, or or they come and give you a drink or some pretzel. You don't have to constantly be engaged with it. So I think anything turn-based, turn-based mm -hmm. strategy, uh, turn-based RPGs, anything like that, or any games that are that are segmented, like into levels or stages or things like mm -hmm. that. Also, tower defense. For whatever reason, I found the tower defense games are great things to play on a plane because the time just whips on by 
because your brain is just constantly engaged. You, you're not, at least for me, I'm not recognizing how much time is passing. So I could play uh, play some tower defense games. The next thing I know, we're landing, and I'm like, oh, wow, like that was a really short flight. And it's like, no, you're just playing a game that completely occupied your mind. Uh, so I think anything like that for me. Mm-hmm. Action games, like 3D action games, 3D plat, stuff like that, I hate playing on planes. I tried to play uh, Super Mario Odyssey on a plane, and I literally played it for like two minutes. I was like, no thanks. And I just, <laughs> I was just like, whatever. I, I, it just Yeah, it's very, it's hard to focus directly on it that is. kind of Especially thing. Especially when you're like bumping around and moving around. It's like, it just doesn't work for me. So, so yeah, like um, I saw somebody replied to Brent's tweet and said, Advance Wars. Yeah, I played a lot of Advance Wars. I did too, things. actually. Yeah. I played Advance Wars one time the whole way to Japan. 11 mm-hmm. hours straight, I played that game on the way to Japan. It's perfect for it. Again, it's also a turn-based. Yeah, so. I played uh, I played through two Phoenix Wright games on the way back from Japan once. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Pereira made fun of me because I, w- I wanted to play that and I didn't want to play like multiplayer stuff with him. <laughs> He's like, oh, you're, you're a dork. <laughs> and I'm like, whatever. All right. Uh, I'm next. solving crime over here, man. <laughs> Uh, the next question is from at underscore it ends. Uh, if you had to bet on which console manufacturer will have the most powerful next gen console, which one would it be? I would bet Microsoft. Yeah, because like although with the fact that it just put out that crazy powerful box. Yeah, well, the next one will probably be a little later than the next PlayStation. It'll be a little more powerful. Yeah. And Microsoft, you know, Microsoft knows that like it made a huge mistake. It made a it, a made a huge mistake one. and B. It's one of the places it, it's strong. It like is. It's, it's like it, that worked out pretty well for them. If now backwards, it is. If backwards compatibility is really a strategy going forward, they're going to need something beefy to handle, like the Xbox One backwards compatibility. Yeah. Like it's probably just all the same scalable hardware point. or whatever. But I think you know, especially in the light of how powerful the Xbox One X is, the next the next Xbox is going to have to be a pretty monstrous machine. Yeah, I don't see any way Microsoft allows Sony's console to be more powerful. Yeah. In generation nine. I could see parity, but I don't see any way. I think if, if Microsoft were to find out that Sony's console was going to be more powerful than it, it would delay its console. I don't think mm-hmm. it would put it out if it was going to come in underpowered again. So, yeah, I, don't I, think so. I, I think the PlayStation would be out long before yeah. the next. And Nintendo is not even in the discussion for this. Yeah, so. Nintendo's, Nintendo's a different beast. Altogether. Uh, next one from at NeoJD. I uh, just want to hear your thoughts on the latest Jason Schreier article update on the Rockstar Works situation. We talked about this a little bit. Yeah, let me. You know my feelings on black bars in year seven. Um, I don't know it's gross. Synopsis: The story is on Sifted. It's been curated. A yeah. quick synopsis: um, Red Dead was delayed a couple times internally before it was ever delayed publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, Thus the eight the eight year and then the very last delay was for what Matt and I were talking about earlier, adding black bars to make the cutscene seem more cinematic. That was an eight month delay for that. Is that Seven, right? Like, extra eight months. Yeah. And there was a whole thing about like the, the QA one of the QA departments, uh, QA studios really. It's a whole team that's just QA for like a whole building or something. I think, but they were basically on like hundred hour a week crunch time and like. This week they sent out a thing that basically said, "Oh, that's all. That's all optional, by the way." Which is, many b- employees reported to Jason that like that's not that's not what the email well, said before the, this week. Yeah, you, you know, can like, leave whenever you want, but you're gonna get the stink eye when you walk yeah. out, and you're probably gonna be fired when we don't need you anymore. And if you and if you aren't with the company when the game ships, you don't get your name you don't in the get credits. credits. 
which is some which I knew that I knew which that was really a thing. Dirty. I'd heard that. I Although definitely I heard that. I think with Red before. Dead Two, they finally changed that Did policy. Because yeah. I know I know I've heard that before. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things that have been flying around the industry for a while. Um, I mean, the other thing I would say about this is, um, look, if you're a salaried employee, and I had been a salaried employee for 15 years straight or whatever before I started Sifted, and you work overtime for free. That's mm -hmm. just the way it is. Like I, you know, you technically are getting paid for your 40 hour work week, but you know, at GT, I worked 70, 80 hour weeks every, every week. Like yeah, but just it depends. Yeah, but it depends what you're doing. I mean, if you're salaried at, at a certain level and you're getting kind of some, some options out of it, or you're, you're one of the top creative people like steering the ship, that's one thing. But if we're talking about coders and programmers, like I, I compare, I compare everything to movies, but like comparing it to movies, it's like, yeah, like if you're a producer or a director or a writer, or even the writer, like, you know, yeah, you're working long hours. You're there in the middle of the night. Those production offices sometimes in the middle of production, never, the lights never turn off because there's always somebody there. Yeah. But if you're one of the people who's like building mm -hmm. the set or moving the wires or running the audio, if you're one of the crew, you are there for you are have a union you are you have overtime you have mandatory break like the the people who are not the ones who will, who will financially and career wise like directly benefit from the creative process of this product that side of the crew is very strictly union controlled and very strictly paid for the hours they work. And I think that's a better analog to programmers and developers in the trenches of a game development studio. I mean, look, when I worked, started at GameSpot, my starting salary was 35K a year in the most expensive city in the United States. And I worked 70, 80 hours every week. It's just, mm. it just, it's just the way it is. I hate to say it's it. It's not how it should be, though. No, it's I not how it does. It's not look, how it has to have, be. Would I have loved to get paid for those hours? I would have made double what I was making mm. at GameSpot. Absolutely. But I think a lot of, in a for lot me, of cases, I, I think for me and also for a lot of developers I've talked to, it's not even so much I want to get paid overtime for those extra hours. It's I don't want to work the. Hours. I don't want to work the. Yeah, I want yeah. to go home and have a life and yeah. not be fired when I come back because I felt like I wanted to go home at six. Right. You know. Yeah. And like I think that's entirely reasonable. Um, I do think you will see um, like the union or the union situation and people talk about if you if it happens anywhere first it will happen at Ubisoft because um, they're so underpaid. Well, no, because Ubisoft's one of the best places. Like and like they're going to be pay. Not for pay, but for like living conditions and work-life balance. Ubisoft is generally Which considered. Which is probably also consequently why they're also one of the lowest-paying, somewhat, but major like publishers in the industry. But uh, well, especially in terms of kind of like bonus stuff and all that. But but like in terms of stability and work-life balance, they're considered one of the best. Yeah. And the reason I think unionization or something equivalent mm. to it could happen there first is because they wouldn't have to make a whole lot of changes. I think the, the really the root of the problem is that. A lot of times, even pointing back to working at GameSpot, it, a lot of times these, these are jobs that a lot of people want. Yeah. And it's very easy. And they didn't have to tell me this at GameSpot. I just, you just know it. It's like, if I, if I won't do this, somebody else will. And so you can whine and say, oh, you're overworking me. You're not paying me for my hours. You'd be like, all right, you're right. We are. See you later. And so I think it comes down to how much do you want the job? Do you want the job? Because that kind of is the job. I mean, working in games media, no one's gonna feel sorry for you working 70 or 80 hours a week every week if you're a games journalist. You're like, oh, you're sitting around playing games. It's not like that, but that's the perception. 
just like making games. No one's going to feel sorry. Somebody who is just coming out of Full Sail University is not going to feel bad for the people working on Red Dead Redemption 2 because they're like, I want this so bad. I would be willing to sacrifice far more than that for this job. And Rockstar knows it. And GameSpot knew it. And when I was running game trailers, I knew it. My guys got paid not a lot. And they were also working 60, 70 hours a week. And like, I would, I hated it. And I fought for raises for those guys continually and got them in some cases, sometimes not, depending on how things were going. But, but the bottom line is I knew and they knew that if they didn't like it, they could leave. And that there were just dozens, like when I hired for the positions at GT, where I brought in uh, Daniel Bloodworth and Patrick Morales, we had like three positions open and we got like 500 resumes. I mean, when that happens, at a certain point- and that, When that happens, it's okay to mistreat employees and, no, and, and that's bow, bow down to the altar of, of, ca of unfettered capitalism, exploiting workers for the benefit of things that they'll never see the benefits of? Like that's not- just I did that's, not say it was Just because right that's yet. how it used to be. And I certainly worked my share of those long 80 hour weeks. Like it was bullshit. It is. Like it shouldn't be like I'm that. I'm doing it right now, Matt. I'm, I know. <laughs> I'm working. But at least if something. 80 hours. And but I'm at least if something comes. Nothing. But if something did happen to blow up and come out of that, you would directly financially benefit Absolutely. from that. Whereas, like the people that did that kind of work for Telltale are out on their ass and might have to get leave their apartments next month. Yeah, I'm not saying it's so, right. It's absolutely wrong and it's terrible. And I, I hate that I got sucked into it. I'm sucked into it right now. I'm working crazy hours for nothing right now. So. But again, there is that That's rainbow. Not the same thing it's as, not the same thing. It's right. not the same thing as working for a company, but being I did. a slave for a at, company. I worked at GameSpot for years. I worked at Tech TV and the first oh, yeah. years at G4, I didn't make anything, dude. Like nothing. So we've done it. And we know but this why we did it is because right, we really just, wanted the job. It's a highly desirable job. I don't care. A lot of people want. But I don't care about any of that. that everybody knows that. Everyone knows work sucks. Everyone knows that has to take that long. and. You well, put in all these hours and don't get anything out of it. But like I'm saying, like just because it happened to me and I did it doesn't mean I want it to happen to anybody else. I agree. But here's what I would also say is if that were the case, if you had those jobs and you made that pay and you made that pay for just 40 hours a week, we probably never would have got those jobs because then you have the people who are, who are finishing in the top three percentile at their university wanting those jobs. And... The truth of the matter is it just it would increase competition and it would be much harder for other people to get the jobs in the first place. So I agree with you, it's awful. I hate, I mean, I, I wish I got paid for the hours I worked at GameSpot. I, I can't even imagine, I would have like tripled my freaking salary there. But unfortunately, it's just not the way it works. And it's particularly when you talk about highly desirable positions that other people literally, there are some people out there that would kill to have some of the jobs that we've had to have a job working on Red Dead Redemption 2. And it's just a simple case of supply and demand. And until that supply and demand quotient somehow gets leveled out, the publishers are not gonna stop doing it. Well, we'll see. We will. Because at a certain point, you have to stop a doing that to point. people. Where, where is that inflection point, that break point? Yeah. yeah. And like, it, I, I, you know, I was hoping, I don't, know, I don't know if it's even happened or if there's any kind of anything like it on the horizon, but I was hoping that the rise of the indie scene would make it so that at least if people want to bust their ass and ruin their lives to make a video game they could make their own yeah and they can make a game that's going to directly financially benefit them instead of take two interactive yeah because like all the people that worked all that time and don't work there anymore what did they get out of it they got a rock star game on their on their resume 
which like, is, which is not big, nothing. It's a big deal, yeah. But like, still, they did that to, so they could go do that do the to themselves same thing again somewhere, somewhere else. else. But so, probably get paid a little more money. Maybe, but it's like it's it's ridiculous and it's bullshit. And uh, and frankly, like sometimes you sometimes you do something, you play stuff like this game, and you're like, where'd it go? Somebody worked eight years worth. Eight years worth of stuff, and I'm still tapping X, the X to run. Like, what's the? Like, I'm still yeah. doing these things. You know, these still the jump still looks weird and doesn't look doesn't work right. Like, what yeah. what happened? What have you been doing? Did you really work these guys that hard just to remove everybody in the cutscene so it looked good with the black bars on the top and bottom? Because that is hilariously <laughs> it's stupid. Crazy. Uh, let's move on. Next question from Stefan Swanland. I recently remembered a game called. And I'll probably pronounce this incorrectly. Mega Kure. Mega Kure. Mega Kure. Mega Kure. Um, which, when it was first shown, looked simply amazing, but, did, but disappeared many years with no news, and now it's looking like it's probably coming out early next year. Can you think of any games that seem to vanish that you still want to play? Star Citizen. <laughs> um, yes, I know I can play the Alpha or whatever the three, whatever that. That's not the game. That's not but frankly because the answer is actually Squadron Forty Two. Yeah. And I, when I backed that game, I just wanted to play Wing Commander again. God damn it! Like, I, what happened? Yeah. Um, but in a more serious answer, I will say Beyond Good and Evil too. Yeah, that's coming though, at least. Yeah, but I mean, it it came, it disappeared, it came right. back, it disappeared, and now it's back again. We'll see. Yeah. Um, what about Star Wars thirteen thirteen? Yeah, I mean, sure, I would have played that. I thought that game sounded incredible. Sounds good. I would have liked to play Amy Hennig's Star Wars game. Yeah. Would have liked Between to have played. May? Who knows? No, it's not. It's dead. It, it moved up to become Destiny Star Wars in Vancouver. Oh, right. I would have liked to have played Jade Raymond's Star Wars game, but. That may come out. Well, whatever comes out will not be her Star yeah, Wars yeah. game because she didn't finish working on it. You know, what, I'm, sure, I'm sure it will be you know, thrown through the creative lenses of other Who people. Who just left, by the way? Have we talked about that yet? No. Jade Raymond left this EA this week. Yeah, left EA Motive. Um, Left EA, totally gone. Probably because, uh, well, she was at Motive, right? Yeah. And that was just her company. So, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing she left for a lot of the same reasons that Amy Hennig left. Yeah, I'm imagining being... They're just not a match for games as a service. That's just not what they create. Well, and also, I'm sure, you know, they're also not a match for the inability to get a game out in three years. You yeah. know, it's like... Like games as a service is one thing, but it's like just the, the the drastic and ridiculous mishandling of the Star Wars license is. I mean, if I was hip, if I was her, hip deep in the bullshit, like trying to get a freaking Star Wars game made up against the gears of this massive organization that can't seem to figure out where anything should be or whatever anything should be in terms of this license that. That should be this. I mean, LucasArts used to put out four of these damn things a year. Like like in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was a bam, bam, bam. What's the popular genre right now? Let's make a Star Wars version of that. Go. Yeah. Like, how in the world have we gotten two Star Wars games in six crazy, years? Dude. It's so crazy. Like, that should be the easiest thing in the world to I mean, even if the games aren't any good. Like, they, it'd still be easy to make. It'd still be easy to you make. Have all them. those assets, like, lying around. Like, Anything. Just yeah. go over and, like, beg freaking. Telltale or uh, 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 Traveler's Tales to, to make you a Lego Star Wars game right. again or something like just get Farm content out, just in the pipeline. Out. My yeah, God, it's bad. Like it's so, bad. so I, I have a very hard time blaming her for wanting to go make something that a is hers and b comes out. Yeah, <laughs> so someday. The, those are really the two things you'd want as the head of a game studio is a thing that's yours and a thing that exists. Well, so. she also signed up for one job. 
Yeah. And then basically a whole other job was just dumped on her. Yeah. I mean, she basically was then tasked with doing Amy Hennig's job. Right. And I They're also... like, oh, Amy's gone. We'll just have Jade do it. Like, no. He, when you I also, brought her here to start motive, not run like your entire wing of Star Wars Well, When I also feel like, you know, same thing with Amy Hennig. It's like... You know, these people were, they're in, they're on the inside. They know what's happening better than any of us probably ever will because yeah. they, you know, they, they are privy to all these things, you know, and the fact that they left says to me, it's like, yeah, like you, maybe you could have like, you know, strapped the ship together with masking tape and rope and, and sailed it, sailed into, into port as you needed to. But in the end, uh, do you want whatever, whatever clutched together mess these Star Wars games turn out to be? Do you want that to be the thing you have to sit up there in front you know, because yeah. they were going to be the faces of those games in the end. They're just like Vince is, Vince Zampella is for Respawn and their Fallen <laughs> Jedi game. Like, just like, you know, when they, he, what was the announcement for that? Him sitting in the audience saying the title of the game. That was the announcement of that yeah. game. So clearly Vince is, is confident or, or just doesn't give a shit to the point that he can just sit there and, yeah. and say, yeah, that's what we're doing. But, you know, Amy and Jade clearly uh, didn't want any part of it. And well, it's hard to blame them. If you think back to what happened with Jade... With Many Assassin's Creed, ago. yeah. I mean, it was awful. I wouldn't think she'd want to be the, the forefront of anything again. No. I'm surprised she stayed in the gaming. Because if you meet Jade and kind of get to know her, it, like, what happened to her mm -hmm. is just, like, oil and water. It's like, if you know her and then you oh, realize yeah. what she went through, you're just like, how? Like, how could somebody do that to you? Because they don't know her, obviously, and they just were looking also at her. Also, because she's like, a woman. Oh, she's attractive, and so that just means I can say whatever I want. Like, I can, I am shocked she ever even stayed in games after that. Because well, the other knowing her personality and the way she is, I'm sure it was just devastating. Oh, right. But the other facet of her personality is that she loves games. She does. Yep. And, and she's that one and she's really good at it. She is. Yeah. So absolutely. It's. I mean, I get the. I don't know her particularly well, but I got the impression that it's kind of a calling to her yeah. so yeah i don't i mean it doesn't surprise me she stayed in games even though she went through some horrible shit but like uh you know just because it's you know you love what you love yeah you know, you and she, thick skin to work in this industry oh, absolutely. Man. well especially if you're a woman like and and especially if you get pushed up there in front of the cameras to be like the the face of something like she yeah. was with assassin's creed and uh, Ubisoft just wasn't thinking about what that was going to mean in the yeah. end. And, I'm sure uh, Jade wasn't either. She was just, like excited about the opportunity yeah, and like, yeah. you don't really know until you know, until you have to deal with the dregs of our community. It's people mm -hmm. can talk to you about it all you all they want until you actually deal with it. It's a whole yeah screen, another level as people say. Screen fan mail for a major publication for a few years. Yes. You'll see some. You'll see some stuff. It is. <laughs> I can I, I could tell you stories, but I don't think I'm allowed to yeah, on some of them. Cause, exactly. Like there was, you know, basically like there was a certain level of email that you just forwarded to legal. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it was. And you it, didn't it, mess around with no. it. You just sent it straight on standards and practices and legal and let them handle it. So that's it for Game Face episode 145, our only episode ever that was concentrated on one game, and it probably will be the last. Unless maybe uh, GTA 6 comes out. Yeah, someday. depending on the, the future NDA timings, yeah. basically. But yeah, but the way it worked out, we wanted to make sure we got it out to you guys when it had a lot of value before you had to pull the trigger on making a purchase. I think for the vast majority of you, you'll be totally fine 
buying Red Dead Redemption 2, and some of you are going to absolutely love it. And we'll be back on Tuesday when I tell you why Shane is wrong about every, <laughs> everything he said today. That's the beauty of it. So with that, Game Face 145 is up and out. Yeah.